Welcome back to So You Think You Can Fan In. We're reading the All Guardsmen Party. You know what it is. You know what's going on. We're the Weed Smokers, the Trio 3. Oh. I'm Jake Prime. Yeah. I'm Matt Prime. And I'm Sergio Secundus. He, he thinks we're <laughs> only on Secundus. Sergio Primus. He thinks we're only on Secundus. I should have uh, I should have said Math uh, Matthew Omegas. Matthew Gamma Tertius um, Omegas Tertius. So order. Oh wait, hold on. Links. We gotta talk about the links. Oh yes, we need to talk about how we're ninety five percent of the way to ten thousand views. And if you guys follow us on Spotify or whatever platform you're listening to us on, you may be able to help us get just a little bit closer. Yeah. Yeah. We also have a link tree in the description of every episode that has all of our links that you could ever need. And if there's guests on the episode, you can find their links as well. Not that there is one this time, I guess. Yeah, we don't We don't really need one. But we have you also follow us on YouTube and Twitter at, at SYTYC. Fanon, and if you get us a ten thousand listens on the podcast, we'll get Young Gravy on the podcast, the real one, oh, yeah. the real rapper, oh. Young Gravy. Who is Young Gravy? Shut up! <laughs> act like you act like you know him. R- rapper names at this point are just like the most like glup shitto ass like. You could say, like, Little Vehicular Manslaughter, and I would believe you that that's a real rapper. What about Baby No Money? Hmm? What about Baby No, no baby Money? Baby No Money? Yeah. No, it's I'll... me, West this is, Korea. This is, his, this is his rap name. See, I don't believe baby that you no could have came up with that on yourself, uh, by yourself, so I'm going to say he's real. BB No Dollar Sign. Damn. All right, let's start this fucking thing. Let's get into it. Yes. Oh, one last plug. Uh, we were recently on the retro fanfic uh, retrospective podcast talking about a fanfic <clears throat> called Godzilla vs. Cthulhu. If you haven't already <laughs> listened to it, go listen to it. Um, Did you just cough? Their show. Did you just cough on my oh, episode of So You Thinking Fanon? I'll have you know, you, you're not allowed to do that. I'm sorry. I know we got Nikki sick through the through. Coughing yeah, we got Nikki sick through coughing in the Zencaster. So no more coughing Damn. in the Zencaster. Damn! Can't believe it. All right, so who's starting? Uh, we'll do the classic order of you, Matt, me. Starting now. So aside from that little stuff, all of our effort was put into the big important project. Operation Screw Everyone Else Over Before They Screw Us. Now this may sound like the default state we operated in, but this was a much more concerted effort than our usual paranoia and misanthropy. Our focus was almost entirely on two parties, the tech priests and the warlock. Now it's obvious why we felt the need to plot against the cogboys with them acting nuttier than squirrel shit and all, but the Eldar part might need some explanation. See, it is in the very great nature of the Eldar to dick honest, hard-working guardsmen over. They probably tell each other the stories of great Eldar heroes who use their magical Xenos powers for absolutely nothing but being a colossal dick. Based on the single concrete fact about his basic nature, we knew that the warlock would A, show up on the planet, B, try to use us to destroy the Archaeotech, C, proceed to dick us over as hard as he possibly could the second we were no longer useful. This may be a lot to infer from a single piece of racism, but it was backed up by our own personal experience with the warlock. When we'd been trying to talk to him over the hollow what's it, we'd gotten the distinct impression that he didn't like us for some reason. That was a sure sign of a dickish personality. Anyway, the project was mostly prep work, and the first step was securing allies. Jim and Hannah had been decent to us, but that whole thing about possibly following orders to leave us to die was bad and needed fixing. To that end, both Jim and Hannah were in- invited down to our quarters, then locked in and treated to a class on ethics by a resident expert, Nubby. Don't. Don't laugh. This wasn't a class on any of those sissy, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, ethics. This is a class on guardsman ethics, which tend to only go so far as do unto others. And Nubby knew those by fucking heart. He and Doc, as what you might call the friendliest, most persuasive members of our little group, were assisted by the ever-loyal Fumbles in teaching camaraderie 101 to Jim and Hannah. 
The two junior tech priests were very thoroughly educated in one, why it is important to stick with your mates, two, when and when not to follow the rules and regs, three, why you should never trust anyone over the rank of a sergeant, and then they finally got a special course on why killing your close personal friends because a crazy priest told you to was a very, very, very bad thing. By the end, both engines here were thinking like proper guardsmen and gave us all the vital information we needed for the rest of our project. Specifically, how the tech priests would probably monitor us, what sort of bomb they'd be giving us to plant, and where and what its detonator were being built. From there, it was Twitch and Tink's show. Twitch was far, far, far too excited about his part of the plan. Not because he got to blow up people who annoyed him, but because Sarge had vetoed mining the priest's quarters on account of how we wanted to still have a ship after the fucking mission. <laughs> but because he got to play with the biggest bomb he'd ever seen. Now, when I say biggest, I don't mean its size. I mean its yield. The first time Twitch made his way through the vents to where the priests were putting the bomb together, he'd wound up needing a new pair of underpants. They were giving us a backpack nuke. It's been said, mostly by guardsmen, that the final step of becoming a full tech priest involves having the common sense part of your brain pulled out and replaced with a little box of screws. In our opinion, the fact that they were giving us a nuclear weapon pretty much proved that. You know, I had a moment where I was like, this sounds like we've already read this. Hmm. I wonder but we, we definitely have, we have never we read this before. We've, we've never read it before. Never. Never. We ever. definitely didn't have a failed recording of us trying to read this. Because, I, you know, I, that would be weird. Well, why are you saying it if it didn't happen? You're you're being crazy. I don't know. Let's just ignore it. Let's not think about it. You, you Let's never slave. think about it again. Read, slave. Hey, we don't use that word around here. We prefer indentured servitude. <laughs> of course, they thought we they'd be the ones controlling it. They probably snickered to each other about how frustrated and scared we'd be not being able to set off the bomb after planning it, not knowing if they'd remotely detonate it while we were in the blast radius. Still, though. It was a titanically bad idea. I mean, even ignoring how much trouble we were able to cause with the conventional explosives, we had a demolitions expert and what could loosely be called a technical expert on our squad. The second we were out of their line of sight, we were going to crack that puppy open and rewire the debt. So Tink and Twitch spent their time spying on the bomb's construction and planning how they'd rewire it and jam the Cogboy's bugs. Meanwhile, the job of putting together a plan on how to screw over the Eldar fell to Amy and Doc, largely because they were willing to do what the rest of us were not, sit through tedious lectures and psychology from the adepts. Unfortunately, we didn't know exactly what the Warlock had, what the Warlock was going to do, only that dickishness would eventually be, inevitably be involved. This meant that Duck, Duck, Doc, I lost my flow, it's ruined. I'm going to cry. Doc and Amy could only come up with a sort of general plan, but they did a still did a very good job at it. A bunch of contingencies were, were prepared for. A few simple strategies were mapped out and practiced by her entire team, and Amy came up with a rather nasty idea for forcing the warlock to behave if we ever saw him in purpose. Per purpose. Person. Oh my god, what is happening to me? Doc quietly told the rest of us that he was glad not to be an evil mastermind this time around and recommended we never antagonize the Markswoman. When we finally came out of the warp on the border world, we, were, we felt we were ready for anything. Unfortunately, it turned out that the other te teams and adepts weren't nearly as awesome as us. Not only did they fail to pin down the location of the Archaeotech for us, they'd also been unable to confirm that it was even in the system. Sure, a quarter of them had died fighting on the station, and half the survivors were still being tended to by Doc and his girl, and they'd only be able to do their research via discreet astropathic questioning and a few out-of-date field reports. Still, though, we'd expected better of them. I mean, a little professionalism and work ethic isn't much to ask, is it? And if it was going to be so damn embarrassing, if it turned out an Eldar had been lying to us. We sat on the ship for a few days, twiddling our thumbs and getting more and more worried while the other teams went down and made some discreet inquiries. Sarge and the Adepts helped them out, but the rest of us pretty much stayed in orbit and watched, waited for the word, go. Luckily, from our perspective, they met with enough resistance from the local government and Admech priesthood to practically prove the Archaeotech was there somewhere. Probably the only reason that no one tried to kill our investigators was the constant stream of ships pouring into the system at our request for reinforcements. Most of them were a little navigator-less armed merchantmen, but there were a few escort class vessels, and the captain said our odds in a naval battle were definitely looking up. 
Still, though, from what we overheard, the locals were some seriously uncooperative people. No one would admit to anything, even when the interrogators started flashing their junior rosettes around. That changed abruptly when every astropath and navigator in the system reported a fleet approaching into the warp. While the incoming fleet was great for our investigation, it was also rather confusing. The only thing anyone knew for certain about how Necrons got their ships around was that they didn't use the warp. Of course, everyone else said it was the Heretech fleet, but we knew better and spent a lot of time pondering what was actually coming. Honestly, it got pretty freaking annoying telling everyone it wouldn't be a Heretech fleet and not being able to say why. Sarge finally snapped during the final big meeting and just told everyone he'd made the fleet up to keep the tech priests in line. There was a lot of arguing and shouting after that, but luckily no mass servitor uprisings. Of course, about five minutes after he said that, a large group of what were unmistakably Heretech vessels came out of the warp and demanded the surrender of all technology within the system. Everyone was too busy for much recrimination, but the captain did spare a few seconds to congratulate Sarge on being fucking psychic. With the arrival of the Heretech fleet, everything started happening all at once. Sword Guy, who was still too injured to help much in combat, transferred over to the largest friendly ship and system and started organizing the took overall command of fleet we'd been cobbling together. That was said exactly as how it was written. They need to edit these. Armed with the intel provided by our ship's priests about the Heretech... I mean, they do, ha they do have people editing them. <laughs> yes, they do. It's not they do the later ones. They do have people editing them. Yes. He was confident that he could keep the hostile fleet away from the planet for at least a day or two. Down on the planet, Battleaxe, who'd been leading the investigation, was approached by several local nobles who'd had a change of heart. The planet's nobles sold out their governor and put their forces at Battleaxe's command. The basic story they gave us was that the planetary governor had purchased a piece of Archaeotech and a team of scientists from a rogue trader. The device itself wasn't being used for anything, and they didn't actually know what it was, but the technology being reverse-engineered from it was supposed to turn their little SDF fleet into the most powerful space force on this side of Battlefleet Ultima. They were patriots, see? It had all been for the good of their world, and by extension, the Imperium. The governor had, all, had told them all that within five years they'd be completely secure against any Tau aggression or Tyranid splinter feeds. Fleets. In 10, their space yards would be the envy of every Forge world. In 20, they'd personally control all space shipping from there to the Damocles Gulf. And by the end of the century, the Administratum would need to make a whole new sector just to contain the worlds they'd use their fleet to colonize and take back from the Tau. Quite the statement, but every tech priest and veteran voidsman they'd sent to look at the thing had confirmed it. So they'd all signed on, even knowing that some Xenoforce was chasing the Archaeotech and would need to be fought off. They were confident in size, in the size of their defense forces, they said. All of those other, all of those other worlds that had been wiped out were undefended backwaters, they said. It was worth the gamble, they said. But now they saw the size of the Heretech fleet and the Inquisition was at their door. They were singing a different tune. Up in our shuttle, we were listening into the whole spiel. As we dropped towards the Manufactorum, they'd fingered everyone but Jim and Hannah, who were locked in the cockpit and keeping to themselves, speculated on just what sort of super weapon they'd found. It, if it was really such a big game changer, it would be a shame to just blow it into little radioactive pieces. We were still going to do it, of course, aside from the whole thing where where it was... Sorry. Aside from the whole thing where it was a heretical piece of archaeotech with the potential to drive the Mechanicus to schism, you can't carry a nuke all the way down to a planet and not set it off. It's just not, not allowed. Anyway, as we were going to blow up the archaeotech, Battleaxe was organizing a coup. She and, half, and her half-strength team would handle capturing the planetary governor and securing a temporary government with the help of most of the Nob's regiments. She wasn't hogging all the support troops though a sizable force had actually been stationed near the Manufactorum, where the Archaeotech was located, and she sent them to lend us a hand. Well, actually, it was more of a case of us lending them a hand. They had a lot less travel time than us, and we saw nothing wrong with them handling most of the groundwork. So our eight, little eight-man force came down outside the Manufactorum after several hundred PDF yahoos and spent about an hour shooting the place all to hell. That may have not have been quite as professional as leading some sort of hypersensitive strike force, but the important thing is that the place was clear and none of us had gotten shot in the process whole lot of pdf had had though the place was a mess that's what happens when you're dumb enough to try to rush the fortified positions poor dumb guard wannabes per our orders the pdf had stayed out of the semi-secret basement where the archaeotech was located they just swept the upper building which had been defended by a few of the governor's men and as well as a surprisingly large number of servitors the servitors worried us at first, since the heretics weren't supposed to be anywhere near close enough to shuttle or teleport a force down. 
Thankfully, when Jim and Hannah came over to take a look, they said the servitors didn't have any recognizable heretic markings. That was a load off of our minds, and we followed some PDF general over to the basement entrance. Surprisingly, Jim and Hannah both tagged along instead of returning to their shuttle. Sarge weighed the pros and cons of having two cog boys around when we went to blow up some piece of really cool tech and then decided to trust them. The engineer engineers fell in behind Twitch, who was lugging around a heavy backpack containing a large metal 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 cylinder with an unnecessary amount of ornamentation on its surface. Because I'm exaggerating for comedic effect the fact that they have a title two metals there. I don't get the joke. Explain it to me. The bomb did not have any exterior controls, readouts, or anything aside from what Jim told us were etchings of yeah, holy scenes and prayers written in binary. Can you imagine writing the crucifixion in binary? That would go so hard. <laughs> it looked like a drum for storing holy water more than anything else. It was about the right size and weight, too. We'd had to scrounge a grav plate and clamp it to the bottom for anyone but stars to be able to carry the fucking thing, though. Presumably the whole reason for the bomb's odd design was that there were no exposed controls for us to muck around with and no way to see inside. It should have stopped anyone who wasn't entirely suicidal from trying to go in and rewire its detonator, but Twitch had the thing cut open within ten minutes of our shuttle's departure. Now the nuke's top was held on with duct tape, its remote control was hooked up to a novelty noisemaker, and the only way to set it off was using the detonator Sarge was carrying. After a rather unpleasant walk through the corpse-filled building, we reached the entrance to the underground lab where the archaeotech was stored. We stood around the intimidating entrance for a while, wondering just what sort of defenses we were, were waiting down there, and if we could do any harm, if it would do any harm, to send a few squads of PDFs down for us. Our little debate was interrupted by a call from the captain, who warned us that the fleet engagement had started, and that, inexplicably, all astropathic communication was being blocked. Jim, is it blanched? Blanched, blanched right? A blanched, for if it's blanched. a ch. Sorry, I wasn't. Yeah, it would be blanched. No, it's blanched according to the Oxford Dictionary. Blanched. Yeah, blanched. That's fucked up. I thought it was blanched, like carte blanche. No, like carte blanche. It's just yeah, carte blanche. Blanche is the actual. If it's just blanche, then it's blanche. Why is it blanche. called carte blanche if it's blanche? French. This is upsetting me. Oh, uh, Jim, Jim, Jim blanched at hearing the second part and told the rest of us that heretics didn't have a way to do that. The Necrons were here. Confirmation arrived in the form of... Well, so when did the Necrons get roped into this? Did I miss something? They got roped into us the in the, the second part. Okay. Yeah, because it, um, it was Necrons and Eldar, right? Yeah. I guess it's been like three weeks since we last mm-hmm. read, it feels like. So. The Necrons are also chasing the Archaeotech along with the Eldar. The Eldar don't yes. want it in the hands of the Necrons, obviously, but they also don't want it in the hands of the Imperium. Okay. Confirmation arrived in the form of a few dozen green lightning storms outside the windows. They weren't violent enough to be an orbital bombardment and faded quickly, but they left behind some very ominous glowing clouds. Tink went over to a window and ratcheted up to the zoom on his goggles and went pale and recommended we that we go blow up the Archaeotech right now. There wasn't time to fool around with sending scouts down there, and anyway, the PDF would need all the men they had to fight off the millions of metal insects that had just teleported into the atmosphere. We didn't need telling twice and practically sprint into the basement, only stopping to advise the PDF general to conserve ammo and save his last round for himself. Twitch and Fumbles went to went first to check for traps or ambushes. Sarge tried to take the nuke from Twitch before he took point, but the demolitions trooper flatly refused. He claimed the bomb was his now, and he'd be damned if anyone would take it from him. Anyways, he said he wasn't getting in a, it wasn't getting in his way and actually helped him concentrate. Just carrying it made him feel all warm and fuzzy inside, he said. The rest of us all thought that sounded like it was leaking radiation, but we didn't put the idea. Aside from a few traps which Twitch easily disarmed, the stairs down weren't defended by anyone. Either they'd all fought and died on the surface, or they'd fallen back to the big room at the bottom of the stairs. We all bet on the ladder and formed up to breach the door. The charge went off, flashes were tossed, and we all rushed in with weapons raised. Then we all sheepishly walked down the empty hallway to what was actually the final door, and did that all at that. The time, this time, a hail of last fire poured in at us, so we scrambled to find cover in a very large room. Luckily, in addition to being very large, the room was littered with all sorts of conduits, machinery, and inexplicable inexplicably chest-high walls. Through a combination of luck and skill, we all managed to find something solid to hide behind and started trading fire with what looked like to be five tech priests. Originally, we had some vague plan that Tink would 
would find where in the room the Archaeotech was, and Twitch would plant the bomb while the rest of us held off the defenders, for that didn't turn out to be necessary. For one thing, it was easy to see what, where the Archaeotech was. A massive opaque shield took up the rear half of the room. For another, the tech priests didn't need to be held off. They were pathetic. These guys weren't any weren't anything like the sort of mechanical combat monstrosities we'd expected. They were relatively normal tech priests with LAS pistols. They hold up behind some ineffective cover, and we picked them off one by one, while Jim and Hannah made a half-hearted attempt to negotiate their surrender. There was just one of the tech priests left, and we were arguing whether or not to take him alive so he could deactivate the shield. Then we all heard a metal stomping sound, and something that looked like a cross between a dreadnought, a necron, and a metal squid came out from the edge of the shield. That description... The description really doesn't do the metal monstrosity justice. Start by imagining a dreadnought made of that weird metal that the Tau use for fucking everything. You know, the tan shit. Now, replace its arms with a pair of those green tube Necron weapons. The kind that, that shoot the lightning that evaporates whatever the hell it hits. Finally, imagine that instead of having an armored front plate protecting a dead hero of the Imperium, it was this writhing ball of mechadendrites and somewhere in the middle is a crazy goddamn tech priest screaming in fucking binary. We were so incredibly screwed it was almost funny. We'd been expecting something worse than a few schmucks with last pistols, but for once our cynicism and paranoia has been completely insufficient. We all just stared for a second as the thing stomped toward us almost absentmindedly. Amy headshot the last wimpy tech priest. Then, the green tube started charging up, and Sarge screamed at everyone to pop smoke and scatter. Cover wasn't going to do shit against those Necron beams. As the room filled with smoke, the beams started lancing out and leaving big, very empty gouges in the floor. Operating pretty much independently, everyone started readying what anti-armor equipment they had. Sarge started the show by peeking through the edge of the smoke, noticing he was behind the Dreadnought, and activated the special range fighter dealy on his totally not a towel pulse carbine. Everyone but Tink's surprise, it worked actually perfectly. He and Amy suddenly had the location of the Dreadnought displayed on their goggles and scope, respectively. Two balls hey, of plasma. Misspelled Dreadnought. Misspelled Dreadnought. Dreadnought, Dreadnought, Dreadnought. 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 Two balls of plasma, one big and fat, the other small and fast, flew out of the smoke. They both hit the Dreadnought in the mass of mechadendrites that passed for its torso, but only managed to burn a few of the tentacles off. The Dreadnought aimed down the gaps in the smoke the shots had left and returned fire. Tink was away before his shot even hit, but Amy wasn't as quick, and her world went green. None of us were in the position to see what happened, but Amy screamed like a stuck grox and flooded the comm channel with an incredible stream of curses. We took it as a sign that she'd live and concentrated on the fight. Not having fancy targeting toys, Nubby and Tink had to find gaps in the smoke to make their attacks through. Nubby hung back and put some well-aimed last shots onto the Dreadnought, causing it to stomp towards him, while Twitch darted back or forward with a dead pack. Sarge groaned when he saw Twitch sprint out of the smoke with the nuke still strapped to his back, then nearly had a heart attack when one of the Dreadnought's weapons swiveled towards the Demolition's trooper. Thinking quickly, he activated his auxiliary grenade launcher and fired a Tau flash grenade between Twitch and the Dreadnought. A Dreadnought's beam missed Twix, twi twi twink, Twitch, twink, twink, Twitch's nuclear backpack twitch, twitch, by centimeters. And, blinded the, and the blinded trooper slammed helmet first into one of its legs. Now stunned as well as blind, Twitch staggered around for a second and suddenly disappeared as Fumble stuck his hat out of the smoke. The Dreadnought stomped around for a second trying to find Twitch, but quickly gave up and returned to chasing Nubby as another hail of last shots hit it. Sarge confirmed that Twitch was still alive, then ran off into the smoke to emulate Nubby's hit-and-run harassment. While everyone else was running and shooting, Tink sat still and waited for his plasma gun to recharge. As he waited, he noticed Sarge wasn't making the target anymore, marking the target anymore, and sent Spot out to keep an eye on things. Thanks to the drone's vid feed, he was the first of us to notice that the Dreadnought was slowing down a little. Initially, he put it down, put it down to some sort of battle damage, but then he spotted the familiar-looking skulls flying above the smoke. As he watched one of them darted down and attached itself next to two others on the Dreadnought's back, causing it to slow down a little more. Jim and Hannah's skulls all saved our lives as we pulled out, pulled ourselves back together. None of us were sure exactly what they were doing, and the engines here seemed too busy to explain. But the Dreadnought got slower and more inaccurate with each passing second. Everyone stayed back and peppered it with LAS and plasma, forcing it to constantly stop around hunting for us. It was looking like we'd be able to wear the thing down, especially once Amy had gotten back to the fight. Then the tech priest caught on. He let out an incredibly piss-sounding scream, and the mecha dendrite started ripping the skulls off his back. He caught on to our only real trick, but then he was distracted. It was time to, 
to do or die. Twitch shared some debt packs with Sarge, Fumbles, and cloaked them both, and they ran in. It probably would have worked, but it wound up not having to. When the sprinters were halfway to the dreadnought, its mechadendrites are bursting apart with little flashes of light. A few seconds later, the flashes were followed by a very familiar last cannon beam and one of those hell orbs. Finally, a blast of raw psychic energy came out of the smoke and slammed right into the middle of the dreadnought's tentacle face. That was apparently the thing's limit. It let out a sound like a blender with a rock in it powered down and toppled backwards. The warlock slept out of the smoke, and with two of his wraith guards in tow, the one with the weird hell gun set about methodically sucking the pieces of the dreadnought into the warp, while the other didn't quite aim its las cannon at us. The warlock walked up to Sarge, congratulated him on holding out for so long, then apologized for not arriving sooner. He had more important matters to take care of. Sarge didn't deck the smug bastard, but it was a near thing. Given that the warlock was there in person and had a pair of wraith guards with him, we were s- much, much more polite this time. Sarge made an attempt at diplomatic small talk, while the rest of us formed up and took stock. Mostly we were just bruised, exhausted, and low on ammo. Amy was the only one of us who'd taken an actual hit, though. When Jim and Hannah helped her through the smoke conversation, stopped for a second as everyone stared. Her hair and helmet had been given what you might call a reverse mohawk. The Necron beam had been a millimeter from taking the top of her whole head off. Everyone quickly found something else to look at, specifically the other figures coming through the smoke. The Warlock's rangers were practically dragging two short figures. One we all recognized as a Tau Earthcast, but the other looked like a monkey that someone had been testing Augmetics on. The Tau was frantic, and when he saw us, he started babbling at us in Gothic. He'd been kidnapped, which was illegal, then enslaved, which was double illegal, then forced to work with all sorts of mentally unstable people, and now he was kidnapped again, and he just wanted to go home. Sarge digested this for a second, then shot him a confused, uh, shot a confused look at the Warlock. He said the Tau was the last of the Archaeotech science team and ordered him to deactivate the shield. We all followed the Tau scientist to a cogitator station, listening to a steady list of complaints all the way. The monkey remained silent, but tried to bite the ranger holding it a few times. Once all we were all at the station, the Tau pressed a few buttons and asked Sarge to flip a heavy-looking lever. The shield vanished with a loud crack and revealed the Archaeotech that caused all this trouble. Jim and Hannah fell to their knees in awe, while everyone else stared. Then Nubby swore loudly, Twitch started laughing, and Sarge facepalmed. Tink peeked out from the back of the group and turned to Amy. Ah! Looks like a Necron ship. I wonder how they got that. We checked, just to be sure. There was a slim possibility that someone else had gotten their hands on a damaged Necron vessel. It didn't have to be the one we gave to a rogue trader in exchange for some fire support. The whole entire bloody mess from the empty worlds to the damned heretic fleet above us didn't have to be the result of us quit cutting a quick deal to save our skins. This didn't have to be our fault. It was, of course. We could see the spot where we'd melted our way in, and the words, Nubby was here, glared damningly at us from inside the ship's open door. This is probably going to go down in some inquisitorial history book as one of as one as the most colossal scrub ever performed by a bunch of low level grunts. I mean, cults and traders typically have to work for years to achieve this sort of mess. We managed to achieve it in just a few minutes of panicked bargaining. Oak, or even maybe the Lord Inquisitor himself, was going to nail our ears to the wall and peel our skin off with a dull spoon over this. Assuming we survived the current mess, that is. Amy, Tink, the rest of the team caught on to what was going on in a few seconds. They'd heard that story more than a few times. The Eldar didn't get it, though, and just stared at us as we all alternated between smears, swears, not smears, swears, moans, and hysterical laughter. Eventually, the warlock got frustrated, turned to piece things together, and demanded an explanation from Zarge. Our fearless leader was obviously not thinking clearly, because in a fit of being dumb, he told the Xenos the truth. Oh, boy, was he pissed. The lecture we got was a nice preview of one we'd inevitably get when we made our end of mission report. The word incompetent was used at least 30 times, and it was amazing how many synonyms for idiot the warlock could think up. It was quite embarrassing, but the sheer grating annoyance of being lectured by a smug Xenos bastard eventually brought brought us back to reality. The lecture ended with a wail of, Do you know how much time and and life you've wasted with your stupidity? Which Sarge sourly countered with, Oh, shut up, we're guardsmen. Wasting time and life is practically in our job description. While the warlock searched for more words to express his outrage, Sarge ordered the rest of us to secure the ship and asked the warlock what his plan for sorting all this out was. Sarge and the Eldar argued whether the heretics and necrons would leave the system if we just blew the ship up. While they did 
this, the rest of us took the Tau prisoner and inspected the ship, and it changed a lot since we'd seen it. The place was practically filled with things that looked like a hybrid of Tau and Imperial tech. Jim and Hannah snapped out of the religious days that they had been in, and after a bit of outrage about how heretical everything was, started asking the terrified scientists questions. Flying tour guide seemed to calm the Tau down immensely. He led the tech priests around the ship, with Tink tagging along and asking some annoying questions. They were given a completely incomprehensible summary of how the scientists had merged Tau, Imperial, and Jokero tech to something that could interface with the Necron systems. Supposedly, this let them re reverse engineer pieces of the tech and make their own versions of something. It's pretty much impossible to follow. While the nerds babbled on about how this was the greatest scientific advancement in centuries, Twitch and Nubby went to go find a place to plant the nuke and blow it all up. There's something deep and philosophical you could say about that, but we were guardsmen. We had a really big bomb, and damned if we weren't going to use it. Twitch slid the actual go-boom part of the bomb out of its decorated cylinder and crammed it into an out-of-the-way crevice. He was literally vibrating with excitement as he taped the thing into place and armed it. Outside, Amy and Fumbles watched Sarge's back as he brainstormed the Eldar, and over the secure comm, Tink and Jim had rigged the Adepts. It was a rather tense situation, especially when the senior tech priest started repeatedly trying to call Sarge's main comm. Luckily, everything stayed subcritical, and a plan was formed. The ship had to be destroyed, of course, as the facility in any notes. The problem was that neither the Necrons nor the Heretics were likely to leave the system until they'd checked the planet over themselves, since that checking would doubtless involve the death by Scarab Swarm or Demonic Machine of everyone on the planet, that wasn't an ideal solution. For a while, they toyed with the idea of taking the ship, which the scientists had gotten flying again and running. The theory was that the Necrons and Heretics would follow it and leave the planet alone. But the Elder pointed out the vessel wasn't warp-capable and the Necrons would catch anything that was. Really, the only way to save the planet was to somehow stall the attackers until reinforcements arrived, or get them in a fight with each other. To this end, Sarge suggested just giving the ship to the heretics with the experimental Tau tech on it mind, but the nuke left out. This was vetoed by the warlock, as well as Jim and Hannah. Finally, after a little debate on even more suicidal plan, an even more suicidal plan was agreed on. The ship would be flown between the heretic fleet and the region of space where the Eldar said the Necrons were hiding. When both fleets closed in on the prize, the ship's teleportation jammers would be dropped, and the Necrons would be forced to kill all the heretics in case they ported something off of the ship. If... Somehow, the heretics looked like they'd win the nuke would be detonated. The only questions left were who would detonate the nuke, who would crew the ship, and what would happen to the crew when the teleportation jammer went down. The warlock promised that if we crewed the ship with the Tau scientist, his vessel would follow us a maximum teleportation range. The jammer would go down, we'd arm the mines, then we'd port out and he'd carry us to safety on the ship. The only ship in system fast and stealthy enough to survive the ensuing melee. For trust reasons, the nuke's detonator would be left in our hands, but also a timer would be put on in case something went wrong. Sarge eventually agreed. Everyone sprang into action. The nerdier members of the team went back aboard with the Tau scientist to prep the ship for its last flight. The warlock ordered his men to rig their own charges in the lab, then the second the Tau scientist was out of sight and without the, the slightest hes hes hesitation, decapitated the wait, the warlock ordered his men to rig the charges, and then they decapitated the captive augmentic monkey. Amy put in cur the courtesy call to the PDF upstairs, who were surprisingly still allowed. Alive. I can't read today. I don't know what's going on. I'm a little tired. I'm a sleepy little man. Just a little guy. The tech priest must have been listening in too, because the little noisemaker we had had their remote nuke detonator hooked up to went off halfway through the conversation. Sarge called the Cogboys assholes and promised everyone it would work out. He then got a final sit rep from the rest of us and walked over to where the Eldar was cleaning his sword. Sarge gave the Xenos his best parade ground salute. We thanked him for agreeing to teleport us out of the ship. The burly non-com held out his hand, and after an awkward pause, the warlock sheathed his sword and took it. Sarge, looking Sarge right in the eyes and saying it was the least he could do, the Xeno shook his hand. Inside that stupid helmet, he was probably grinning ear to ear about how clever he was and how the annoying guardsmen were finally beginning what they had coming. Imagine how the Xeno's bastard's expression must have changed when Sarge's grip tightened and dragged them forward. The final stage of Operation Screw Everyone Else Over Before They Screwed Us was beautiful. Sarge and the Warlock both staggered backwards as Nubby darted forwards and Tank pulled a lever. Before any of the other Xenos could do a thing, the ship's shield sprang back up and cut them off from their leader. The warlock's sword hand was locked in Sarge's grip, but 
his eyes started glowing and sparks appeared around his offhand. This was interrupted by a sticky sounding thunk as Nubby slapped a jet pack onto his chest, right over the shiny looking gem that sat in the middle of his armor. The Xenos went stock still, hypnotized by either the blinking light on the charge or the way Nubby was waving a dead man's detonator over his head and cackling. Sarge released the warlock's hand, stepped backwards, and formally welcomed him to the ship's crew. He managed to get through a whole speech without cracking a smile, but behind him, Amy and Nubby were grinning wide enough to swallow an entire sewer's worth of shit. He wrapped the speech up with a little warning about what was to happen if it if anything, cut the comms connection to the Pax detonator and advise the Xenos to come aboard and start arranging our exit strategy. The Eldar glared at everyone for a while, then stalked out of the ship, stalked into the ship while swearing and promising vengeance under his breath. Sarge clapped him on the back with a hearty, that's the spirit, son, and followed him in. So no shit. There we were on a Necron ship being piloted by a terrified Tal scientist flying out to start a fight between a heretech fleet and a Necron extermination force with the only chance of survival being on an Eldar warlock who we'd taken hostage by gluing a death pack to his spirit gem. Gotta say, for this, uh, for a life in the Inquisition, it may be absolutely insane, but damn, it makes for some good stories. Our flight up to orbit was less interesting than you'd think. We didn't have any windows to see the massive swarm of Necron scarabs we were flying through. Mostly, we ran around placing all of Twitch's death packs and helping the Tau keep all the jury-rigged systems running. The little guy was terrified to the point of gibbering by the situation, and Fumbles was put on duty behind him, pumping a constant stream of positive mental energy or whatever. Sarge took the detonator from Nubby and hung out with Amy and the Warlock and ironed out the last little pieces of the plan, like when the Imperial fleet would disengage and how the teleporting would actually work. The other seemed to have accepted that all he had to do to get out of the situation in one piece was not be a fucking asshole. This is probably really hard for him being an asshole is well the nature of an elder and all as well as being a dick but aside from being a little surly he was coping in fact spirits were high all around after fumbles calmed the tow down the only people who seemed to be in trouble with the plan were jim hannah and tink the techies were all rather torn by the way we were about to destroy a techno magical marvel and the fact that the eldar flatly refused to allow the tow to live the warlock held that the fact we felt sorry for him was completely immaterial we would have to stay and keep flying evasively while we poured it out a mine would be placed on his seat to ensure he didn't fall into enemy hands. Sarge pointedly ignored the mutinous looks, whispering this statement generated. It took an amazingly short amount of time to reach the edge of the fleet engagement. Necron ships are ludicrously, ludicrously, ludicrously fast. As we edged around the Imperial fleet, some final preparations were made. There was going to be a brief period of time when the ship's teleport jammer went down and when the Eldar vessel would be able to get us out of there because science or something. This meant we'd have to fort up together on the fancy pad thingy and hold off whatever ported in and then activate the mines and the nukes timer right as we ported out. So the barricades were constructed and the lines of fire were created when Sarge went over the ship's big Vox station and ordered up, opened up a general channel. Sarge loudly, jovially even, announced that the Archaeocheck was right here and the heretics could bloody well have it if they could catch him. He panned the vid of heat around a little. Then to really sell things, walked over to the Tau scientist and asked him to say hi to the crazy metal men. Both groups of them. The towel sort of let out a high-pitched wheezing sound and tried to slap the recorder away. Sarge laughed and reminded everyone that this was the last surviving scientist that had been studying the ship. This was a once-in-a-life opportunity, folks. Then he cut the feed, but left the transmitter on so everyone could find us. We were all watching on the ship's hollow thing, and it was surreal how the heretic fleet shifted. Every single vessel turned as one, ignoring the Imperial ships and burning towards us at maximum speed. Simultaneously, a section of empty space on the on our opposite side filled with little moon-shaped ships and a larger one that looked sort of like a fork. They were farther away, but started closing the gap with incredible speed. All of us who'd been laughing at Sarge's little speech went silent and watched as they closed on us like two sets of teeth. Keeping the balance between the two incoming fleets was tricky, but the Tau scientist and his scientists and its Tau scientist and his assistants managed it. As they got cl closer, it, it got harder and harder to dodge the incoming fire, and the shields started soaking in shots. And we all watched the timer until both the heretics were in teleportation range. Carefully, everyone had their own little nervous reactions going on as the enemy closed in, ranging from Amy repeatedly checking her weapon to Jim and Hannah praying. Sarge took special note of the way Tink was hugging his drone like a teddy bear and how Twitch kept fiddling with the empty new case like he was keep which he was keeping for sentimental reasons. The warlock signaled it was time to fall back to the teleporter and personally placed the mine on the back of the Tau's seat. As he did as he did it, he leaned in and told the poor sucker to be careful to stay in his seat so the Eldar ship's teleporter could lock onto him. Seriously, the Eldar are dicks. 
Everyone slowly filed out after the Eldar to where the actual teleportation would be happening. Tink, Twitch, and Fumbles brought up the rear, and the techie was crying, and Fumbles was radiating waves of misery as well. Sarge carefully ignored them, but the warlock spared a second to tell them that they were pathetic and asked Fumbles to control his aura. It was making it hard for him to focus his own powers. Fumbles flipped him off. When the timer hit zero, Twitch activated his time detonators and Jim did something. The entire ship immediately filled with crackling electricity and a wave of pressure that nearly deafened us. What poured it in was horrific. The dreadnought thing that we'd fought down in the lab had nothing on these guys. They were like the Skitari that accompanied the Titan Legions crossed with daemons. There was metal, flesh, guns, and claws, and there was way more tentacles than anyone should ever have seen in one place. We all froze for a second, and then before we could fire, the second wave arrived. The Necron's teleporters seemed a little smoother than the Heretech's. There wasn't any lighting or pressure, just a flash of green light, and the ship was completely packed with metal skeletons, giant clawed metal worm things, and a few thousand scarabs. We all heard a tinny screaming from the Tau, then the explosives started going off. Everywhere except for our little three-meter pad exploded into total violence. There aren't words to properly describe what we saw around us in that ship as we waited for the teleporter to activate. We all held our fire and just stared into the maelstrom around us, trying to pick out what was an actual threat and what wasn't. At first, it looked like everything was just going to ignore us. We were too minor to pay any attention to. Then a single skeleton, taller and fancier looking than the other, stepped right through our barricades and raised a glowing green staff over its head. Three las guns, three plasma weapons, two psychotic attacks, and a two psychic attacks, and a pair of servo skulls slammed into its face. The boss Kron rocked back and a literal wave of scarabs rushed over him, absorbing our follow-up barrages. Its staff swept downwards and was just barely deflected by the warlock's fancy sword. The Eldar managed to deflect two more surprisingly fast blows from the Necron's power staff while the rest of us poured as much fire as we could into it. Then the world went white and everything around the edges of the platform disappeared. If that had been the first teleportation any of us were a part of, Honestly, it wasn't nearly as bad as everyone made it out to be. There was no muss, no fuss, and no screaming demonic voices accompanied by lightning bolts. Just one second here, next second there. That was probably because it was a Xenos teleporter, though. Anyway, the first thing we noticed upon arrival was that the maelstrom of violence had been replaced by an equally upsetting army of Eldar. The boss Kron looked around for a second, obviously didn't like the odds, then vanished in another flash of green, leaving behind a few dozen scarabs. The very very carefully shot these, making sure not to raise our weapons high enough to threaten any of our nice new hosts. The warlock breathed a sigh of relief and barked some orders in pointy-ear speak. He then turned the vessel back and asked us to hand over the detonator and remain on the pad until we reached teleportation range of an Imperial vessel. Sarge kept his grip on the detonator and suggested that our arrival had damaged the teleporter, possibly in such a way that would port us all into the void instead of a vessel. All in all, he'd prefer to hand over the detonator after a shuttle ride to the occurrence border. The Eldar muttered something that sounded like lucky guess, waved the soldiers away, and started leading us through the fancy but confusing corridors of the ship. We rode back on a very familiar-looking shuttle, and spent the majority of the voyage trying to stare down the wraith guards and rangers we ditched in the lab. Thankfully, Sarge was able to keep things to a low simmer, keeping Nubby from saying anything at all, and, co and covering for Tink and Fumbles, who were in some sort of depressive feedback loop. There was a scary moment when we got back at the cob range of the occurrence border. <sighs> Jib and Hannah both seized up, started twitching, causing Tink to break out of his funk and grab his tools. He couldn't quite call what followed combat surgery, but it was close. Tink ripped something small and metal out of Jim's neck, and then they both went to work on Hannah and extracted something similar. When Sarge asked what the hell happened, Tink said the senior tech priests were rather angry and left it at that. After the little show, Sarge put in a call to our adepts and filled them in on our imminent arrival. The bay we touched down in was some sort of racially insensitive standoff, with the ship's senior tech priests and their servitors staring down the captain and a small army of his armsmen. The warlock took a look around, laughed, and told us to have fun. Sarge flipped him off and handed it over to the detonator, prompting the warlock to laugh some more. After the guests had laughed, our little family squabble had really got rolling. The tech priests were livid and wanted us dead, and the captain was equally furious that anyone dared to question his authority on his ship. The only thing that kept it from exploding into a bloodbath was the arrival of a sensor tech, reporting that the nuke had gone off and taken a small heretic cruiser out, out along with the ship. Twitch giggled at that. This wasn't the end of the good news. Apparently, the heretics had decided they'd settle for an unmodified Necron ship and were going at the Necron fleet, hammer and tongs. From the looks of it, it'd be days for either side had attention to, so, attention to spare for us. The captain called that they that as a near 
called that as near a total victory as possible. Then Brow beat the tech priests about how the Archaeotech hadn't fallen into heretical hands, and there would be time to wait for Juris. None of us knew who Juris was, but Jim said it was a good thing, and we accepted being confined to quarters until he arrived. The first thing we noticed after being escorted to our quarters was the large amount of dead servitors, then the fairly severe structural damage to the hallway, and finally the note from old Bill saying that we were going to have to clean and repair it ourselves. No one in the engineering department was willing to even walk down this corridor, much less touch a damn thing. They'd even cut a new entry point to the Gellerfield generator from a side corridor. Twitch surveyed the carnage with pride, especially the part where the doors to our quarters were still sealed despite the damage. He supervised the careful opening of one of the doors, while our senior tech priest and servitor escort stayed at the end of the hallway and glared at everyone. Once it was open, we all piled in, fumbles on the engine sears included, then sealed the door behind us. After a quick sweep to check for any sort of bugs, the techies confirmed the room was clean, and Twitch dropped the nuke case he'd still been carrying. To Sarge's complete lack of surprise, when the lid was popped off, a nearly asphyxiated Tau scientist flopped onto the floor, followed by Tink's drone controller. After the little guy had a minute to breathe and get his bearings, he was incredibly grateful. In what Sarge thought was an incredibly annoying voice, he thanked us for the rescue, then asked what he could do to repay us and when we'd return him to the Tau Empire. Everyone kept quiet on that last part, but Tink butted forward. He announced that for a start, the scientist could help him build a new drone. Spot had died for him, after all. Then the techie started crying again, which set Fumbles off in turn. Nubby led the psyker away to look at pictures of happy puppies or something, while everyone else went to find something less awkward to do, like talk to Jim and Hannah about their complex crisis of faith. We all honestly, well, honestly, talking to Jim and Hannah about religion wasn't that awkward. They were a little confused about the stuff they'd seen on the Talified Necron ship, and now thought senior tech priests were complete assholes. But that just put them on the same page as the rest of us. Mostly, we just sat there and nodded whenever they stopped talking, then let them sit and think about, let them sit and think when they ran out of things to say. As for the rest of us, we were actually feeling pretty good. We'd completed our mission, and no one except Amy had gotten shot. Sure, she looked rather odd and was currently up to her eyeballs on painkillers, but the hospitaler probably knew where, how to regrow hair and would hopefully go back to work on her when before she came down. Also, as an added bonus, if we managed to, if we managed to keep the Tau scientist alive until we got back to Oak, he'd probably be so happy that he'd forget about where that Necron ship had come from. Of course, there was still the whole thing where the Necron and Heretic fleets might stop turning on, might fight fighting, might stop fighting, turn on us, and turn on us at any second. There's nothing we could do about that, so we didn't bother worrying about it. Over the next few days, we got regular visits from Doc and the Hospitaller, as well as the Adepts and the Captain. As a basic precaution, the Tau was crammed into one of Twitch's hidey holes during these visits. He complained about the treatment until we explained that the Mechanicus did to Mouthy, what the Mechanicus did to Mouthy Tau scientists. Anyways. Everything was going fairly well, both in space and down on the planet. Oh my god, a rage comic face. Yeah! Mm. Look at him, he's so happy. Look at that guy. Just want to kiss him on the mouth. Battle Axe had successfully captured the planetary governor and galvanized the PDF into a moderately competent defense against the Scarab Swarms. Several smaller cities and numerous towns had been depeopled by the evil little bugs, leaving the silhouettes we'd seen on the dead world, but all the major population centers had been defended. After the Necrons had been engaged by the Heretics, the swarms had stopped porting in, so she was currently just keeping everything stable when the space battle worked itself out. Up in space, Sword Guy was mostly keeping everyone from doing anything stupid while the Xenos and Heretics mauled each other. Astropathic communication was still down, but the reinforcements were trickling in, brought news of some major fleet force being gathered near the sector capital. If neither hostile fleet disengaged soon, it was looking like the reinforcements would arrive in time. Finally, the captain said tech priests were still sitting tight and waiting for Juris, who was on the way but had no ETA. Since it, ha since it seemed like he'd be deciding our fate, we asked Jim and Hannah exactly who Juris was. Unfortunately, they went full tech priest on us and only said he was holy, and that's something we should ask questions about. We left it at that. Things were crowded enough in our quarters without starting any fights. On the third day of our little incarceration, news came that the Necron fleet had disengaged. They hadn't been defeated by any measure, they just decided the battle wasn't worth fighting or something. They'd pulled back to the edge of the system, then just vanished, leaving the badly mauled Heretech fleet standing there like idiots. The techs didn't immediately attack us, though. Instead, they opted to spend a while licking their wounds and trying to find out where the Necrons had gone. At least that's what it had looked like. After a day of waiting, a substantial number of Heretech reinforcements came out of the warp, and the whole mess of them closed in on the planet. 
From what the captain told us later, the battle started about as expected, with the heretics slowly pushing our makeshift fleet back with sheer weight of fire. After half a day of holding action, our guys had taken a beating and the morale nearly broke when a major, major incoming warp signature was detected coming in behind the heretic fleet. Thankfully, though, instead of more tech reinforcements, it turned out to be a friendly fleet. And not a little dinky one, either. It was an honest to the Emperor or Omnissiah explorator fleet, and I shit you not, there was an Arc Mechanicus leading it. It wasn't even a slaughter. That was implying that would imply that there were pieces left over. It was a complete and utter bloody annihilation. At least that's what the captain told us. We couldn't see it ourselves because some batshit cogboys wouldn't let us out of our fucking quarters. For those who don't know, an Arc Mechanicus is a really, really big ship. Yes. Very, 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 very big and very, 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 very scary. Very, very, very Mechanicus. Allegedly. So it wasn't hard to put two and two together and see that this Holy Juris guy was probably the reason there was a Mechanicus fleet here now. Sure enough, word came down that the system was under his jurisdiction. Everyone was to sit tight while he investigated reports of tech heresy and took corrective measures. This sounded ominous, but since the person who said it had a bloody arc at his command, we all sat tight. After two more days of stewing, stuff started happening. Some fancy-looking tech priests we didn't recognize came and asked for Jim and Hannah. Tink and Twitch were in favor of shooting them, or at least telling the bugger off, but the engine seer said it was okay. These guys were from the Ordos Juris. We all were sort of torn as Jim and Hannah were led away. They were our mates, and we were worried for them. But on the other hand, the cheeky buggers did let us think that Juris was just some guy's name for something like two weeks. Anyways, our Cogway and Coggirl were returned without any signs of damage and tech heresy... The intact heresy investigation continued without touching on us again. The priest never came down to ask us any questions and never searched our quarters for Tau scientists or disguised pulse weapons. It's rather annoying at first, since good luck like this tends to be followed by even larger doses of bad, but Jim and Hannah said it made sense. They started to explain that it was so, some sort of treaty between the Ordos and the Inquisition. Then they stopped listening, or when, and then they stopped when they realized no one but the Tau scientists and Fumbles were actually listening. Speaking of the Tau scientists, we were beginning to regret rescuing him. Quite aside from the risk of being correctly measured by the Ordos Juris, he was incredibly annoying. Theo, as everyone but Tink called him, was a pretty infuriating combination of neurotic, naive, hyperactive, pedantic, and curious. The fact that no one had strangled him as a child was pretty much proof that Tau civilian worlds really are as nonviolent as they claim. Back when we'd been encouraging him to talk, Theo spun us a rather odd tale of the whole mess from his perspective. He'd been a technician on a Tau border world and specialized at integrating other races' tech. He'd mostly worked in a government lab, but occasionally he'd go out and inspect some passing ship systems. A rogue trader had come in, volunteered for inspection, and taken him to see a tech priest, who seemed a little strange. Shortly after, he'd looked at the fascinating ship the priest was working on, on everything had gone dark. When Faya woke up, his fire warrior guards were gone, and he'd been given a new job. Aside from the kidnapping, the slavery, and the fact that his boss was quite insane even before he had the Jokero augment in his brain, the job was quite interesting. They stayed in their part of the vessel and done what research they could while the trader searched for a proper new lab for them. Eventually, the trader had found this planet, brokered a favorable arrangement, then went on his way. After that, it had been much easier to get the parts and tools he needed, but the guards were much more unpleasant. Fio had been getting rather worried that he'd never be returned to the Tau Empire before he showed up and rescued him. We all just kind of skirted around that subject. Anyways, the town scientist was brilliant and annoying, so it's no surprise that he got on well with Tink. What was surprising was that Jim and Hannah took to him as well, when they all weren't all, all tinkering on Spot 2.0. The four of them would sit around watching Tau vids that Tink had gotten from somewhere. The rest of us avoided their area like a plague. Do you think they watch Tau Mr. Beast? Mr. Beast! Or do you think they watch Tau L.A. Beast? <laughs> I gave 10,000 fire warriors new rifles. <laughs> Our sort of imprisonment finally ended just before any of us got frustrated enough to kill each other. Doc, finally out of the wheelchair, led the relief force with the captain, other interrogators, and adepts at his back. They informed us of our freedom and invited us up to the main conference room for a final debriefing. We were hesitant to leave at first, but Jim sent a skull and confirmed that the combat servitors had been watching our doors for the last dozen days were actually gone. When we got to the briefing room, it was occupied by a single ordinary-looking tech priest and some guy who looked like a diplomat. 
Jim and Hannah practically fell over themselves, bowing and scraping when they saw the priest. So we figured that he was the head Magos Juris or whatever the fuck he was. The Magos responded by screeching something in binary, prompting two engineers to look embarrassed, then sit down and shut up. That was the only thing the Magos ever said. Everything else came from his diplomat helper. To start with, there was a presentation of legal documents stating that the entire system was more or less Mechanicus property until they were sure no Necron or Heretic fleets would be returning. Battleax and Sorgai were invited to stay on as official inquisitorial observers to the transition of government. Neither interrogator acted surprised, and both accepted, so it was probably fixed beforehand. Namago's assistant continued on to the matter of tech heresy. The system was littered with little fragments of Necron and Heretech ships, but there was no indication that any pieces of the modified ship had survived. It was the Order of Juris' official standpoint that this was a good thing. From the few scraps of research they examined in Jim and Hannah's testimony, they were of the opinion that the hybrid of Xenotech on the Necron vessel was deeply heretical and destroying it was a correct response. Our squad was congratulated for its thoroughness, as were Jim and Hannah for resisting the Xenotech's allure where so many others had failed. The two engine seers literally gloated at this. The rest of us tried to maintain our poker faces. Finally, the discussion came around to our ship's tech priesthood. In the Magos' opinion, their actions were not treasonous or heretical, but they had not been ideal. Since our ship's non-ordained engineering staff seemed unusually capable, the entire priesthood was being transferred off-ship for... Re-education? Jim and Hannah would remain as the ship's senior priests, and a tie the fresh acolytes would be transferred in from other ships in the system to fill out the roster until we finished our return voyage. This time they didn't just glow. Jim, Hannah froze, and Jim looked like he was about to faint. Faint. Tick. I can't fucking. I'm losing it. I was. I was on a roll. I'm losing it. Tink slapped Jim on the back and said he'd be happy to help out. Sarge told him to shut up. With that final little announcement, the Magos Juris left us with the other interrogators in tow, and the captain went to see his ship. This just left our team and the stunned engine seers with the translator guy. To our surprise, he came over and introduced himself to, as a Magos as well, despite his apparent lack of metal bits. As he got closer and we all started getting uneasy, it got to the point where something sprang loose in Twitch's head, and Sarge had to grab his last pistol before he shot the guy. Now that we saw him... Up close, he was definitely a tech priest. There's a normal looking, then there's aggressively normal looking. The guy looked like someone had sculpted every inch of his body to exactly average human specifications. It was amazingly creepy. Anyways, the creepy Diplomagus went to where Jim and Hannah were still silently freaking out and assured them they'd do fine. The Inquisition was the perfect place for them. Both of them should embrace it and take their chance to watch, learn, and grow, because they need every scrap of experience. See, when their service the Inquisition ended, they weren't going to sit in some manufactorum for the rest of their days. Jim and Hannah had been marked for selling freighter. They'd be joining the Ordos Juris. This news did absolutely nothing to reduce the two engine seers' panic levels, and the Diplomagus let out a very unsettling laugh as he returned to the rest of us. I'm imagining Germa. <laughs> I think the picture that was provided is pretty apt. It looks kind it of also like looks Germa. like Germa. It looks kind of like Germa. He handed Sarge a data slate for the well. We should say for those of you who can't see the pictures or aren't following along with just us, imagine Germa. All guardsmen. They don't imagine need to see Germa. Imagine Germa. Just imagine Germa. Okay. He handed Sarge a data slate and informed us that their ship had more efficient methods of communication than astropaths. Diplomagus had informed our Inquisitor of the situation and its findings. Oak had sent this in reply. Of course, the Ordos Juris would never read the, the Inquisition's private communications, but he suspected our Inquisitor had an interesting little task for us to perform on our return trip. Sarge pocketed the slate without comment and tried to stare down everyone, stare down someone who apparently never blinked. In an effort to save Sarge, Doc stepped in and asked the Magos if his Ordos would be taking over the pursuit of the rogue trader who'd sold the Necron ship. The tech priest switched his unsettling gaze to Doc for a while, then said that, in this matter, the Ordos Juris only had interest in those who committed or ordered the commission of tech heresy. Everyone who'd worked on the heretical project was already dead, primarily by our hands, and the entirety of the planet's nobility was being examined for degree of guilt. Currently, they were not concerned with rogue traders being rogue traders, though whoever initially provided them with Necron Vessel would be of interest, or would be if the Inquisition hadn't already claimed jurisdiction over the matter, that is. Doc decided that he did not want to talk to the scary Magos anymore. Everyone clammed up and avoided eye contact and hoped that Juris would get the hint and just fucking leave. 
Smiling that creepy smile, the Diplomagos told us that unless we were incredibly unlucky, we'd never encounter him or the Ordos Juris again. They'd be watching us with great interest. On that unsettling note, he wishes good luck and good hunting, then left. Twitch muttered something about the mechanic as being full of weirdos. The rest of us, including Jim and Hannah, Hannah agreed. Nubby suggested that this was probably a good time to get a drink, possibly in the mess hall where the betting pool was scheduled to be finally concluded in about 20 minutes. No one questioned how he managed to know this despite being locked in the same quarters as the rest of us. The mess was, of course, packed. Nearly everyone had been in the pool, and even if they hadn't won, they wanted to see who did or if their stake would be refunded. <coughs> Fumbles, the adepts, and the tech priests took one look at the press of bodies and decided it wasn't worth it. But us dowdy guardsmen... Doty? Doty? Doughty? Doty? I guess Doty. Guardsmen wouldn't be, couldn't be so det- deterred so easily and made heavy use of our feet and elbows to carve a path. Nubby, and surprisingly, Amy, were the most vicious about it and managed to get all the way to the table the quartermaster was standing on. Surprisingly, he was backed up by the captain and some heavily armed armsmen. Upon seeing us, the quartermaster visibly flinched and hefted his lockbox and leisure like some sort of shield. The captain prodded him and then bellowed for silence. It took the quartermaster a few tries to get started, but eventually he listed off the agreed-upon rules of the pool, and then he began going down the number and size of the bets on each category, until he finally reached the winning one. In a quavering voice, he announced that that most of the people who had bet on the Xeno species, known as the Necrons, had been allowed to withdraw their bets due to extenuating circumstances. Nubby grinned hugely, and then registered the word most. It turns out the only bet remaining in the category was a wager of 20 Thrones by Amelia Delorisista, Amanita Trigestrata, Zeldana, Malifi, Von Humpeding. Amy screamed in triumph. Nubby frothed in rage and had to be restrained by Sarge and Twitch. The rest of the system, rest of the room, either exploded into laughter or started muttering about things being rigged. Then the captain bellowed for silence again, and the quartermaster resumed speaking. Unfortunately, he said since the winning bet was placed by a latecomer, and therefore was made with an unfair amount of knowledge, the SIP's senior officers had decreed that the payout would be limited to a factor of 100 to 1. The remainder would be forfeited into a special budget to be distributed for the good of the entire vessel, as decided by his most honorable and wise captain. While Amy cursed a blue streak and Nubby took off raucously laughing, the rest of the room dissolved into an even more angry muttering. Finally, the captain stepped into the center stage and announced that, for the good of the vessel, the first use of this budget would be to supply this mess with unlimited rations of Sakura for the remaining of the, e- the evening. This was met with much more enthusiasm. As the party erupted around us, and Amy and Nubby screamed at each other, and the poor quartermaster, Sarge finally got around to reading Oak's message. Unsurprisingly, it was a new assignment to be performed before returning. He read the orders, swore, then flagged down the captain, who swore much harder, and then both men decided they need somewhere more quiet to think things over and headed up to the bridge, where they probably swore some more. As they left, the dock flagged them down and asked what was going on. He was shown the first line of Oak's orders, which read... The Emperor's Scythe Space Marine Chapter has agreed to undertake the capture of a living Tyranid Zoanthrope for study. You are to assist them in this mission in any way possible and handle the transport of the creature to my laboratories. Oh. Oh. What the fuck? (laughs) That's like the worst thing you could ever possibly read in orders. Um... That that's genuinely one of the worst fucking orders you could possibly be given in the Warhammer universe. Did that's you say the size of the emperor. Oh, the emperor's size. Is that a deep? Yeah, cut? no. This... Are, are those some glub shittos? They are some glub shittos. I think they're technically <laughs> the eleventh. Um. Oh yeah, they're the they're the eleventh group of uh of 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 ultramarines. You know they're they're ten, uh, they're, they're like ten groups for uh yeah, for the emperor's Codex size, not thingies. to be confused with the size of the emperor. Oh, I'm on I'm on the size of the emperor. Who are the emperor's size? They're oh yes, nobody. they have no information. They are a glove, you know. They're purple. Hmm. And well, we don't know anything those, about them. We should also mention what a zoanthrope is. It's a giant, well, it's a Tyranid, so of course it's giant. It's horrifying, and it can shoot laser beams at you. Uh Uh-huh. Most Tyranids can, because they're psychic. 
Yes. This but one this is one basically like really a, big a, 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 big, a big Tyranid Psyker. He basically went to the library to work out. <laughs> Where do that's, you work That's out? what his own throw Fortnite does. Battle Pass. This thing's head is huge. Yeah, it's it's big. It's big. It, it, it kind of reminds me of like an alien queen, but with like a little like larva body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, kind of. Well, anyways. That was fun. I really enjoyed this chapter. I think this is probably my favorite so far. It was so long, though. Jesus Christ, dude. It, they get shorter after this, because I... I this I, was I, the I, longest I, one. Yeah, this is the longest one, to my knowledge. The next, like, five are a lot shorter. Okay. I will... Thank you at your word for that. Not sure I'll believe you entirely. Yeah. Yeah, bro. Yeah, yeah bro. Yeah, bro. Pretty yeah, cool, bro. bro. Oh, bro. All right. Well, I have nothing more to say. Who yeah. Knows? Come back for a next episode of All Guardsmen Party, where instead of li- reading the All Guardsmen Party, we just play Civ Six. Yes. I think a better we thing, love thing you. would be. Um... Oh. What's the Warhammer Sith clone? Gladius. Warhammer Gladius. Glad- Gladius. Yeah, we're playing Gladius. We, we sit around and play Gladius for a we're day. We're just going to talk about how we don't understand how to play it and how we all are confused. It was fun. It's just really unbalanced. The Necrons are really bro- really, really, really oh. broken. Oh. oh my god, I found a game on what? Steam that I want to get what? so badly. It's what? nothing to do with this episode, so you can end the episode now. Bye, we love you. I don't. I changed my mind. I tolerate you.